What we've got here is failure to communicate. Freedom. Freedom! Well, sign away my freedom. Why, this is ridiculous. Don't be corny, brother. <laughs> sure, our system of free enterprise isn't perfect. But before we throw it away for some imported double talk, let's turn the clock back a few years to see what it's done for us. With your host, Mike Paul. Hey guys, welcome to the Pulse to the Wall podcast. I am your host, Mike Paul, joined, of course, by my brother, Nick Paul. Um, so first off, I'm realized that we have, uh, quite a few new listeners. Um, I'm assuming came over from part of the problem since we advertised on Dave's show last week. Um, so I wanted to welcome all of you guys and please, if you guys enjoy the show, uh, you know, recommend it to a friend or you can head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Let us know what you think or shoot us an email. Um, you can email Nick at Nick to the wall at gmail.com. Um, and recommend any guests or suggestions or anything you guys want to hear on the show. But um, yeah, welcome and uh, enjoy the show. So Nick, how are you doing today? Not bad. So yeah, it's been about a week since we put out an episode and a lot's changed in the, the last week as, you know, as expected, 2021 seems to be, you know, even crazier than 2020, just nonstop action and craziness and, you know, potential communist takeover of the of the country yeah or i i mean yeah anybody that thought that you know 2020 is like oh no this year's over it's just it's silly because obviously it's things are only escalating you know just because something started getting really bad in march of 2020 doesn't mean like you know oh the calendar year is over so now we're good it's it's silly but uh you know i i'm torn between these two things it's like are we going to go into this kind of super draconian dystopian future where you know, we've, we've reached full surveillance state and, you know, cancel culture, um, or are things going to go back to, uh, kind of business as usual corporatist oligarchy under Biden. And the reason I'm leaning towards the second right now is mostly because of what we've seen come out of, uh, like governor Cuomo in New York and then, uh, JB Pritzker in Illinois and Lori Lightfoot, the mayor of Chicago, where now that the mean orange man is out of office, they're opening back up. Like in Illinois, I know like where I live right now, they're starting to allow uh, restaurants to have indoor capacity again. Like they can basically open up, just make sure you're enforcing social distancing. But, you know, the costs of the lockdowns and continuing this are just are too extraordinary to do this forever. So we need to take precautions and go back to life as usual. And it's like, how convenient, you know, and even people that aren't, you know, that will make fun of conspiracy theorists, you know, or they use that word very loosely to what exactly it means. But even people that are not skeptical of the state or the official narrative are like, Ooh, yeah, this, this timing is extremely convenient, you know? And I think that's where we're headed right now. And I mean, honestly, as long as this actually sticks and things actually open up, I'm fine with it. You know, I mean, they got the the mean man out of office. So now if we can go back to some semblance of normal life, I'd prefer that to, uh, to this dystopian nightmare. And I mean, I think we're going to like a lot of the COVID restrictions and now the new precedents that have been set. I think a lot of that is here to stay the same way we had the security state after nine 11. And, you know, although we weren't terrified to fly anymore, you know, we still had the TSA and all these things. And I think it's going to be really similar with, uh, you know, online policing of, you know, air quotes, radicals 
and you know maybe a lot of the the mask stuff and vaccine but other than that if if you know the economy's not shut down that's a good thing yeah i was you know had the same reaction that you did when i started seeing all the uh you know the the narrative started to shift about lockdowns and mask mandates being ineffective when it's been a civil war for the last year about this almost and particularly i feel really i can't imagine how outraged guys like dr knut vitkowski um, the, who was on our show a few weeks back, how he feels. Cause he put out a YouTube video that got over 2 million views talking about all of the science behind why lockdowns are ineffective and are actually creating fertile ground for the disease to mutate. And it got banned by, by YouTube and all the major platforms. So, you know, just disrespectful it is to somebody who's been in the field for 35 years, who like knows way more than any of these governors or anyone on the news and he's not allowed to speak. And now they come out and they're like, yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty much he's right. But, um, you know, we couldn't take a risk at that time. But now that yeah, well, I gone. mean, the cathedral doesn't give a shit about respecting people. You know, obviously, no. this guy was very well respected. And I mean, they've shown time and time again with countless examples that they're willing to, you know, drop a nuke on someone's career just to silence them and, you know, smear their name. And uh yeah, no, I mean, it, again, it's it's frustrating. It's frustrating that, I mean, even things like, I, I don't have the data or the articles in front of me, but they've also reversed their position on hydroxychloroquine. Like, just because Trump mentioned it, now we had to, like, the the, the Surgeon General comes out and goes, please don't take this. It's it's not proven to, to treat this disease and all these things. And YouTube had an algorithm that would, like, search out when people said the word. Uh, I shouldn't even say it because, you know, we might get nabbed off of whatever platforms we're on. <laughs> But, um, but yeah, no. So, and then things like vitamin D and all these things, it's, you know, yesterday's conspiracy theory is today's good science. Like they will happily destroy you and censor you over an argument you're making today. And then when you are proven to be vindicated months later or weeks later, then they will adopt that position and act like it's, they've been on that side all along. And you're going to start seeing it with, uh, with the, the lockdown narrative with their thought leaders coming out, even though like the world health organization months ago was saying that lockdowns are not the way to go, that they're completely counterproductive and they're doing more harm than good. And you know, the governors and mayors and, and elected officials were still, you know, putting the, the clamp down on the economy and people's behavior, even though now the scientific establishment isn't even advocating that this is just democratic politicians. And, you know, the follow the science crowd, they were no longer even listening to the science, you know, even Fauci was saying like, yeah, we can't do this forever. He was saying that back in like the, the fall, like early fall, late summer. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, they will happily just follow whoever their leaders are. And it's again, like I just said, it's not even scientists at this point, it's, it's governors. So now that they've gotten their talking points from Don Lemon and, you know, uh, Anderson Cooper and, and governor Cuomo, now they're going to be happily saying, yeah, it's time to open up. Yeah, and that's what's so infuriating is that you're going to watch people start to just repeat what they hear on TV because that's what they do. They just go with the official narrative, and now it's like, well, now we have more data, so now we know. You know, we've gone through almost a year of it. We couldn't take the chance. What were we supposed to do? You, it, Those people just, they're mindless. And I, I would like to think this is like a red pill moment for a lot of people where they're like, this is way too convenient for politicians to the week of the inauguration are finally saying that we can open the economy back up. Like, like you're saying that's that's the timing is just extremely convenient. Like if you're just a normal person who doesn't think about it, 
And not only that, but it was predicted. It was predicted by so many people. And I mean, I know a lot of people that are, you know, red pilled were saying, no, I think the, uh, the shutdowns and everything are here to stay, you know, past Biden's inauguration. And I was open to that. Right. I mean, like Scott Adams talks about how, when you're talking about political events and predicting them, he tries to stay away from using certainty. Like this is going to happen. It's like, okay, what's the likelihood of scenario A, B, or C? And, you know, I thought scenario A was, you know, after Biden's inauguration, then his election and then inauguration, if Trump ended up winning the election, then I think you'd see it full steam ahead with the lockdowns, Um, which I mean, just seems completely transparent and obvious. But with Trump being gone, you know, I thought the most likely scenario was that you'd start to see the, the economies open up. Biden will come in with some sort of national mask mandate now with businesses being open. And they're going to say, they're going to declare victory over the virus, you know, and once you actually open up, then like we talked about with Dr. Vitkovsky, you're actually going to see herd immunity. Like when you let the virus run its course, the way we've done throughout the entire history of mankind, uh, we have these natural mechanisms to deal with that. Then we're going to, the virus will fizzle out the way it it always would have if we didn't do all this craziness. Um, So I I think that's what's going to happen. We're going to have we're going to open up. We're going to have some sort of half-assed federal policy that's not actually going to be enforced on any level. And then we're just going to stop testing and we're going to see the data look great. Like see what happens when we have a competent leader in office who actually takes control and listens to the science and then it's going to be over. So I, I, but like I said, I think the policies, like a lot of them are going to be here to stay. Right. And I, I, like you said, like I'll let them have their, their like unmerited victory, like go ahead and take it, put them on the cover of all the the big magazines, give them a Nobel peace prize, you know, go through all your ceremonial things to talk about how great the left is, you know, um, or it's the cathedral in general, but it's, um, yeah, like you said, the, the, uh, the measures that are going to stick are the ones I'm concerned about. Like they, they know that they can do anything they want now and people won't fight back. So if there's a climate emergency now, what are we going to do? They'll lock down the economy for months again. Cause number one, now they have data to see how much, how clear the air got over like LA and stuff and how the dolphins returned to Venice, you know, in the waterways. Like, so now they have all the motive in the world and they can actually show real evidence of look how effective it is. We can just lock ourselves in and shut the economy down. Like I don't see right. that being out of the realm of possibility within the and next ten years. Also, they they realized with with COVID just how easily they can spin a narrative, like how how they can manufacture consent for any given government action. It's like, you know, the the whole again follow the science crowd, the blue pilled. If they if they just looked at the data for themselves and like let's go let's let's say you could take them from a time machine from one year ago, and you said okay, there's this virus, uh, and here's what's happening. And here you can read some scientists, you know, pre-March 2020, here's what scientists say about pandemics. Okay. So given this data and how it transmits, what do you think they should do? And and they'd probably say, okay, it seems like uh, people in vulnerable demographics should quarantine themselves and stay away from people and people should, you know, take precautions. And uh, if you're, again, if you're in a vulnerable demographic, you know, avoid it, but then it sounds like we're going to hit herd immunity and uh, things will be okay. But that's not what they thought. Right. When, when this all kicked off in March, they went right to Anthony Fauci. They'd never heard his name before, but he became a demigod like right away. And they don't actually care to follow any science, right? It's, it's follow the scientific establishment and then take your cues from them. You know, they don't think of any positions on their own. Like they don't have any genuine curiosity and say, okay, what's, what are the arguments for and against this? Like, I want to listen to the, the brightest people with opposing viewpoints 
and then hear it out. And then with my limited knowledge, try to understand what I think is more compelling. But there was none of that. There was never any of that. It's just, you know, let's say like the climate thing change that you mentioned happens. It's very easy that they could say, you know, here's this this polar cap and it's, it hasn't been this low since this year. And here's what we're seeing, this unprecedented thing in the rainforest. And, you know, without like listening to people like uh, uh, Randall Carlson or, you know, <coughs> Alex Epstein, people who are, you know, very much involved uh, in the climate change conversation, but have contrarian viewpoints and they're very brilliant. They're not going to listen to them and actually come to their own conclusions. They're just going to say, okay, here's what, you know, the Al Gore and the the climate change gang are saying, and they're just going to adopt whatever policy they're prescribing. Mm-hmm. No, it, it'll be COVID 2.0. It'll be, we need to listen to the experts. All the scientists agree. I can hear all my normie friends saying that because they heard it on CNN or read about it on 18 different clickbait links on, on Facebook when they were scrolling. And that's just the, the headlines is all the investigation they need to be like, that's my position. All the, everyone's saying it. I don't want to be the one that's outside, you know, speaking the opposition, which, you know, by the way, like hats off to, to guys like Tom Woods who have been calling BS on this since day one. You know, the minute that we knew what this disease was, um, he saw exactly that it was being used for ulterior motives to just railroad through a bunch of unconstitutional measures. Um, and, and like, yeah, like you said, though, I don't, I don't know what, you know, what the world looks like going forward now, especially for like, you know, my kids in school where it's, they've set this precedent. Now there it's like, you can't, you have to wear the mask when you're in school. You have to get your temperature taken when you get on the bus. Um, you can't see your friend's faces. You got to have this many kids in your class, this many kids at lunch. Um, you know, you can't do your sporting events. Like their, their obedience to authority is like on a whole different level than any of us ever had growing up. And yeah, you, know, you hope I, that it makes like a generation of kind of punk rock kids, you know, you hope mm-hmm. that's the effect, but I right. they might just not know any different. Like generally whenever, uh, I mean, look at the 1950s and the, you know, greatest generation and then what they created with their more cultural conservative values. You know, they, we had the birth of the sixties, which I was listening to a podcast on tinfoil hat today where they were talking a lot about, uh, which I know you and I are both somewhat familiar with, but the, uh, the cultural movement in the 1960s and all of the American born rock stars. And actually it goes deeper than that. It's a lot of the, the uh, British bands too. Their parents were involved in MI five and MI six. And then you have oh, in yeah. the U S you have Laurel Canyon, California, where I think it was uh, uh, Jim Morrison of the doors, Janis Joplin, uh, all these, I'd have to go through the list, but it's, it's like a list sixties rock stars, like American legends. And, you know, Jim Morrison's dad was a Navy admiral and he was actually the guy, he was like the head architect of the Gulf of Tonkin false flag, which is just insane. Like, what are the mm-hmm. odds that Jim Morrison, his dad right. was like, and all of their parents I mean, were he's, like, he's like a, brats. a guy who's like an yeah. icon sex symbol of the sixties. Like it yeah. is so and all, of, all of their parents were like top brass in the military and the CIA. Yeah. And it's, it's just unbelievable. But, um, God, I went on a tangent. I forget what I was talking about. <laughs> oh, but no. So you have like these, these culturally conservative generations that are too imposing with what their beliefs are without really explaining why to their kids. And then their kids rebel and that you have like this repression. And I, I think hopefully instead of, you know, kids not knowing anything else and going along with it, you hope that it creates a little bit of rebellion. You know, I think the rebellion that we'd see from this is a lot healthier in a society than the rebellion that we saw in the 1960s, which right. I mean, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. There was a lot of good stuff. Like they, they were railing against the military industrial complex and 
you know, Jim there's, there's some other yeah. Good, yeah, sure. So there was, there was some good stuff in there, but mostly it was just cultural degeneracy and the baby boomers were the most insulated and spoiled generation <clears throat> in American history. And it's not even close. So, you know, and then they raised a generation of kind of weak ass kids. And that's where we find ourselves today, where we had the, the riot in the Capitol or at the Capitol and people are acting like this is historically unprecedented. Like, you know, five people died and, and this was an insurrection and it was an attempted coup. And to people that act like this was the most heinous thing they've ever seen. It's like, dude, pick up a history book. Like, this is not that bad. Like, yeah, it's, it, they got rowdy for sure. And I think it's really dumb political strategy. You know, you're not going to like Dave Smith was making the point, like, you're not going to beat the government in a show of force, like whatever you're doing, they're letting you get away with. And you're, you're going to be, you know, swamped with terrible PR and whatever your movement is, you're just going to discredit it. So it's just a dumb thing to do, but to act like this is a very dangerous thing that the moment we're living in, it's like, okay, you're talking about, what was it like hundred thousand people? And you know, they did something really stupid, which is just more funny and hilarious than anything. And you're going to act like this was this horrible, serious thing. And it's like, again, just pick up a history book, read about any country's, you know, disruptions in their, their government's history. And you realize like, oh, that this wasn't really anything at all. Right. No, we've, we've really crossed over into this, like, it's a double standard world. It's like, if you're on the left, it's basically like your dad is like the principal or the mayor of the town. And everyone knows that you're at party selling coke and, and doing drugs and being just like this hedonistic behavior but you never get drug tested you're, you still have to stay on the football team and then you're just like the kid in town who has no political connections and you're on the team and they like you're constantly getting drug tested people are renting you out if they catch you like uh you know doing anything out of line they want to get you kicked off the team so i feel i feel really bad for uh you know some of the the, the you know diehard trump supporters because I actually, I was driving down um, right outside of Naperville, Illinois the other day, and it was pretty wild. There's one of those billboards that were changing, uh, you know, the advertisement every 10 seconds, but just a giant billboard, like looking for leads. If you know anybody that was at the Capitol on January 6th, um, like tips, call this hotline, looking for, you know, people who stormed the Capitol. And I was just like, holy shit. Like, I mean, the, the the Black Lives Matter riots, like they ravaged every major city almost for months, burned down buildings, beat up old ladies with two by fours. There was not one billboard that I ever see like looking for these people. I mean, literal violence and destruction of property versus like, but this was an act of blasphemy because this is like they might as well have gone into the to the Vatican and desecrated it. Um, yeah. It, it, yeah, it was just ground. Yeah. So that's like I, that's it's a double standard world we live in now. Cause it's like you, as long as the cathedral condones your behavior, like they not only will you not get in trouble, it's like they fan the flames of it. But I mean, you know, if you, <laughs> if you get caught doing anything, you know, if you get caught going two miles over the speed limit and you're a Trump supporter, they'll, they'll hang you. It's pretty wild. Yeah. And you know what you just mentioned, like the uh, looking for people that were at the Capitol and they're using like facial recognition software and all this stuff to track people down. And mm -hmm. again, like whatever they got away with on January 6th, they were, they are letting you get away with it. You know what I mean? It's, it's, they're not, it's like whatever, whatever you're going to get away with, they're going to, you're going to pay back with interest. So it's again, just terrible strategy. But what really freaked me out. And I remember seeing this movie 
it was probably like 2005 or six when I first saw it. Uh, Eagle Eye with Shia LaBeouf. Do you remember that movie? I I think I've seen parts, but yeah, I know of it. Yeah. So basically it's, I think it was from like 2003 or four. I mean, we have our computers up. We could probably look it up, but basically it's Shia LaBeouf and he's this, uh, this fugitive or something. I forgot exactly what he did, but he's, uh, he's on the run from the law and they are tracking him because there are so many cameras everywhere, like on, you know, uh, red light traffic cameras and, you know, storefronts and all these things. And they have drones looking for him and they're basically able to track him like everywhere he goes uh, without ever actually having like an officer chasing him. You know, they just know where he's at and they're just cha- like chasing him down. It was 2008. I remember 2008. Okay. So yeah, it must've been, I must've seen it like right when it came out. Cause I was, I was a lot younger and onward, you know, yeah, I remember seeing this and I'm like, Oh wow, this isn't that far away. Like this is probably like, 10, 20 years before, like there's, there's nowhere you could actually hide. Like the days of the, uh, wild west outlaw that's like hiding from the law is they're over. Like if they want you, they got you unless you're, you know, you don't have a cell phone and you're living like in the mountains somewhere, um, completely off the grid, like, uh, like Osama bin Laden or, uh, you know, uncle Ted, you know, they're <laughs> going to get you. So, um, it's it's crazy to see that we're already there. And I mean, we probably were there 10 years ago, right? Like mm-hmm. whatever technology we're seeing more mainstream now was already there a while ago, all the facial recognition. And now it's not even just traffic cameras, but ring doorbells. Like, if, like, you know that the NSA can get in there if they want, like into somebody's ring doorbell and like look for license plates if they wanted to. So uh, yeah. that was the, that was the first point I was going to make. The second point I wanted to make is, like you're talking about earlier, like what we're going through right now with all of the, you know, establishment politicians switching their tune on lockdowns and, you know, hopefully this red pills, a lot of people. Uh, one of the reasons why I'm kind of pessimistic, I don't want to say black pilled because I feel like everybody's overusing the pill term right now. But one of the reasons I'm a little pessimistic is I think we've kind of hit this critical mass of people who are red pillable, right? I think anybody who's potentially, you know, who, who could possibly be woken up is already awake right now. And maybe people can become better educated and more potent and articulate at, you know, converting other people. But it seems like we've got this, this like critical mass of people who are like, again, red pillable. Like if you weren't red pilled by the data and everything coming out after COVID or after the, you know, Russia hoax with Trump or any of these things, then I'm not sure what else it could take for to get somebody to realize that the cathedral is full of shit. You know, I, I'm not sure what else, like people who are committed to being blue pilled, it is their religious belief to, to just take whatever, you know, Stephen Colbert and Barack Obama and Jimmy Kimmel say, and they're like, to them, it's a safety and numbers thing. Like there's no way that Jimmy Kimmel and Barack Obama and, you know, Bill Maher are wrong. Like they're like the smartest, like, you know, wittiest people in the world. And there's no way that they are all wrong about these things. And all these university professors and my favorite, you know, uh, pretend heroes in Hollywood. So I, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there are a lot of people. I don't know what the percentages of the population that could still well, be woken up, but you're, that, you're that's the, hopefully, it. hopefully it's, um, you know, young people like kids in high school right now and guys in their early 20s you know for people in their early 20s you know coming out into the adult life it'd be really nice for them they're kind of getting introduced to the the world and you know paying taxes and making a living to 
kind of see all this going on. And, you know, anyone who's entrepreneurial right now, there's never been a worse time to try to start a restaurant business or, or you know, go into business for yourself if you're a young entrepreneur. Um, I think it's going to create a lot of distaste for authority and artificial barriers to entry and local uh, municipalities, you know, that make it impossible to uh, open a business. So I think you, you're going to see a lot of your youngest or the most new red pilled people will be young people coming into the workforce. But yeah, to your point, there are so many people, God bless them that, <laughs> I mean, you could have Joe Biden sacrifice a child on stage and they, they would not, they still wouldn't think he's a bad guy. I mean, I know the type, there's just some people out there that they're, like you said, safety in numbers. There's no possible way that this guy could be bad, you know? And it's, um, there's a lot of those people. It's terrifying. Yeah, and what, one thing is like when you take the uh, your typical like blue pilled Trump derangement syndrome patient, and you have the benefit of hindsight. Like what, now that Trump's presidency is over, and don't get me wrong, if he won another four years, you could he'd do a lot of fucked up shit, and you could say, you know, here's where Trump like screwed up and and destroyed this, and Trump did make a lot of things worse when it comes to, you know, the actual standard of living and well being of the the country. You know, just like every president before him did things. Anytime they try to play hero and be proactive about some sort of policy, it backfires. But when you contrast him with, let's say like George W. Bush or Obama, it's like, okay, show me what he did. It's like, yeah, he, he racked up the debt, something fierce in four years. I don't know. If, I don't know. Like this year, it's a little unfair to put it on him, you know, because it's kind of like Barack Obama's first year with all of the tarp bailouts. Like he did sign off on him, but People like to say like, oh, Barack Obama, you know, he reduced the deficit by 40%. And it's like, yeah, if you're using fiscal year 2008 as the baseline, it was like the first time in American history we had a trillion dollar deficit. And, you know, so now it was 600 billion, which was still like a record, you know, taking out any year but 2008. And they say that he reduced the deficit by 40%, which is just so at face value, just intellectually dishonest. You know, it's like, no, Barack Obama was a big spender. And Trump was too, even before COVID Trump had, you know, the biggest deficits ever. And he never even, he never even acted like, Hey, Congress should really get this budget under control and balance the budget. He didn't give a shit. And it also was not because of his tax cuts. Like the federal government was taking in more revenue after the Trump tax cuts as they so often do like Thomas Sowell's book. Uh, it's called trickle down theory and tax cuts for the rich. And it's really just like an essay. It's 25 pages or something like that. But so, okay, yeah, Trump racked up a ton of debt, especially with COVID in four years, more than most presidents do in two terms, even as a percentage of GDP. But okay, let's contrast what he really did. Let's just say like total destruction and misery around the world. George W. Bush started the war in Iraq. Okay, he he presided over the the institution of the Department of Homeland Security, the TSA, all of these things, the NSA. The surveillance apparatus was really born under George W. Bush. Like it was already there, but it, you know, it blossomed under him. And then he hands it off to Barack Obama. And yeah, George Bush also destroyed Iraq. Like he destroyed that country and he gave rise to Al Qaeda. You know, they, as Scott Horton talks about in his book, Al Qaeda started out with 400 members or it was maybe it was 40. And at their peak had over 40,000 members and they still have over 40,000. Right. So they, the intended goal of the war on terror, like you're a failure, even what you are set out to do. Okay. So George W. Bush, destroyer of nations, you know, spender of the people's money, terrible failure. 
then comes Barack Obama, right? And he campaigns on ending wars and talks about how he's going to balance the budget. And of course, gets in corporate bailouts, you know, higher taxes, Obamacare, which raised the premiums for insurance. He destroyed Libya and brought literal slavery back to Libya, right? You could buy a person for $400 in Libya today because of what Barack Obama did. You know, he continued all the drunk campaigns. He started a uh, genocide in Yemen. He helped Saudi Arabia actually starve the people of Yemen to death. You can find pictures of four-year-olds in Yemen that look like Holocaust survivors, their skin and bone, and they're dying of puking and shitting themselves to death. Right. So this guy literally starved hundreds of thousands of people to death. He brought slavery back to a country that had a decent standard of living and expanded wars in pretty much every other theater and also spent a shit ton of money and cost a lot of people a lot of wealth. Okay. So compared to those two guys, what did the mean orange man do that was that bad other than well, you said what, mean things on Twitter? Thing, you did forget to mention that, uh, you know, Barack Obama could sink a three-point shot, though, on camera. Yeah. No, he was very charming. So mm-hmm. I guess, I mean, like, if you find somebody quality. charming, then you can you can forgive them of mass murder. You know, it's like if yeah. they if they can go on your favorite late-night show and, and you know, chalk it up with pre-prepared lines uh, written by comedians and writers. And, uh, you know, if you're gullible enough to think that you're watching an authentic interview, then you can forgive them for, you know, war crimes and crimes against humanity. But yeah, it's like, okay, now that we have the benefit of hindsight with looking at Trump's legacy, what did he really do? Like, show me the the human blood and treasure that was spilled. That is so much worse because you were not at all hysterical about Obama. It's not like you were critical of Obama. And now you're looking at Trump and saying, well, this Obama was good and this guy's bad. You know, there's no evidence for that. Like, if you're going to have an objective standard, then you have to hold Obama's feet to the fire. And maybe you could make an argument. Like, I think it's a bad argument that there was less death and destruction under Obama. I don't think there was. But uh, yeah, I I mean, it's going to be interesting with the gift of hindsight, because now all the people that thought that George W. Bush was Hitler, because that's just the standard thing, right? The guy with the R in front of his name is Hitler, if you're on the left, Um you know, now they look back on W favorably and they see him as this great statesman when before they thought he was just a backwards, just hillbilly oh, yeah. that was evil, you know? So, yeah. and I think what's going to happen is in 2024 and beyond, we're going to have guys who are actual hard asses, like they're real authoritarians that are set on pushing through their agenda and they're going to make Donald Trump look like, you know, mother Teresa. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's, it's quite interesting, but yeah, that's always driven me crazy about like, it's just because Obama was like a likable, charismatic person. Like people, they think he is just like the Messiah. I mean, I know people to this day who just like, they just long for it. Like it was this utopia era of the United States. Um, it's just like, does the president really have that much of an effect on your life? And you know, Trump, it's just like, oh, he's racist. It's like, okay, why, why like how? because he wants to build a wall or whatever. He said that Mexico's not sending their best. It's like real, like, okay. I mean, did he like genocide people or advocate for genocide? The guy had a lot of power. Um, I mean, we're, supposedly black people were getting hunted for sport in the street by cops under his term. I don't really know how effect or how true that was. Um, you know, the numbers don't really uh, jive with what I've been here, you know, told on that. But um, yeah, I, the, it'd be interesting to see in hindsight how, how Trump is really treated. Um, yeah. I don't think he was, a great president by any means, but like you said, he was, 
he did the least damage out of anyone in my lifetime. Yeah. And you know what, what the most frustrating thing is like, I'll, I'll say this to people. Cause I, I genuinely want to know, I like to put people on the spot with questions or thought experiments that they haven't heard before. Like they don't have their canned response from the cathedral. It's like, you actually ask them like, like, what do you think the worst thing like is that Trump did? And without hesitating, they'll just be like, he's just hateful and divisive. And the divisive thing really gets me because it's like, okay, if you're going to be agitated by what somebody's saying, that, that sounds, a, it's a you problem. You know, it's like, it takes two to be divided, right? Like, I don't like what this guy's saying and I don't like the people that support him. Okay. But what are they actually doing to you? Is this just you throwing a fit and you don't like the fact that you're throwing a fit? Cause that's a pretty weak argument against somebody. Like they get me going. It's like they, they don't remember the first rule that your parents teach you when it comes to like dealing with bullies. It's like, don't give them a reaction, you know? Mm -hmm. And Trump was a master at getting reactions out of people. You know, he would say like, and he, he was funny about it too. That's the best thing about him. You know, when he (laughs) said like, you know, there's a lot of bad hombres. Like I remember just laughing out loud when he said that that's, that's too funny. And, you know, most Mexicans that I know or Puerto Ricans or anything, they thought it was hilarious too. Like the dude is funny, you know, and when they snipped the thing about, uh, you know, they're, they're sending rapists and murderers. He was explicitly talking about MS 13, right? Which, I mean, if you're defending MS 13, just, I don't know what you're doing with your life. Uh, I mean, obviously he's not, so you're just clipping things out of context. No, what's really frustrating is there's so much to actually criticize him for, um, but when I watch some dishonest attacks come at somebody, I'm not going to like go along with the dishonest attacks. Like, no, here's what we're, we're holding his feet to the fire for. It is the reckless spending. You know, the fact that he went after like bump stocks, he was never a pro second amendment president. He was a status quo president. He didn't look mm-hmm. at like, Hey, I'm going to, you know what? I'm not just going to play defense. You know, I'm, I'm going to like, he could have passed concealed carry uh, reconciliation or whatever, or reciprocity in all 50 States. Right. If you have a concealed carry license in your state, you can take it anywhere. That's just an easy thing he could have done. Right. And you could say things like the Foyd card system in Illinois are unconstitutional. Like he could have passed some legislation, some executive orders, and again, actually win, like actually push your agenda through. But he didn't do it. And so, okay. So he, he played defense way too often instead of playing offense. Uh, he racked up a ton of debt, like we just said. And the biggest thing, you know, he vetoed the, uh, the act to end the war in Yemen to end us support for Saudi Arabia, which is unforgivable. Like there's like, I, again, like Dave Smith said, like he should be behind bars for that with the asterisk right next to George W. Bush and Barack Obama, you know, cause of course left-wing people will hear that and go, Oh, okay. I haven't heard that yep. before on CNN, but I like the right. sound of that. Sure. You know, it's like, what is the worst thing Trump did? No, it's not that he was mean to journalists on Twitter or the fact that he said bad hombres. It was the fact that he was, you know, siding with Saudi Arabia and starving children and the elderly to death in Yemen. That is hands down the worst thing he did. And I don't know what goes on behind closed doors. I really don't. You know, it's like he called off support for El Nusra and ISIS in um, in Syria because I think he understood what that was because he had people like Michael Flynn in his corner that explained it to him. But You know, the guy just at the end of the day, like Scott Horton and Dave Smith have both pointed out, people project onto him what they want him to be. You know, if you think Mm -hmm. that he's an evil fascist dictator, then you're going to project a lot of things that aren't there onto him. And if you also think that he's like the great savior of the American Republic, then you're going to be disappointed too, because he's just a brash, 
egotistical billionaire that uh, pisses people off and he enjoys doing it. And that's not the yeah. worst thing in the world. And it's not the best thing in the world. Let's just call it what right. it is. And, you know, he has just been completely, he really let me down. And I'm sure a lot of other uh, uh, people that were, um, you know, hoping that we'd see some eventful action out of his lame duck session. He's done like nothing yeah. to speak of, like nothing. Like I thought like he got, um, you know, Douglas McGregor in there. He's like, okay, he's going to pull the plug on the wars before he gets out. It was all symbolic. Nothing. It sucks. No, no, Assange yeah. pardon. Nothing. He hasn't done anything at all. Like that was like Ross Ulbricht. Ross Ulbricht. If you're him right now, if you're Ross Ulbricht, which I'm sure most of the people listening to this are familiar with Ross Ulbricht. It's dude. How do you not pardon that kid? Like they're throwing his life away. Like you could save somebody's life with the stroke of a pen. And you know what? A lot of people would look back on you fondly for it. History will be kind to you for that. And he just doesn't do it. Like there's, Again, there's just no, and apparently Trump is familiar with who Ross is. You know, he knows his story and, you know, his mom has written him letters and he just doesn't do it. And it's like to my, you know, while I preferred Trump to Biden big time, um, you know, and I could talk to people that were like actual MAGA Trump people. And it's like, yeah, I agree with you on this, this and that, you know, they'll defend him. When I say like, okay, why doesn't he end support for the war, the war in Yemen, or why doesn't he pardon Ross Ulbricht or, you know, a, a ton of other people, just any nonviolent prisoner that's in the system. And they, they always have some excuse, you know, you, have, you don't know, you don't realize what he's up against and all these things. And it's like, dude, stop right. carrying water for somebody that, you know, he's, he's selfish, you know what I mean? And that's, if he doesn't think that it's going to advance his, uh, his legacy in some way, then he won't do it. And it's it's disappointing, like you just said. His lame duck has been very uneventful. He spent most of it pouting about having bigger crowds than Biden, and it got him jack shit at the end of the day. Right. No, and that was the other thing is like I, um, I think even Matt Erickson finally conceded that Trump's not going to pull it out. Which, yeah. um, you know, if you guys aren't familiar w- with that episode, the uh, the title's a little clickbaity, but um, yeah, that, that was a quote from Matt Erickson, not not our stance. Um, we had him on just to explain what he thought how he thought Trump could pull it out. And he had a lot of interesting points and routes, but clearly um, the, the powers that be are just way too big. And that's the other thing that's kind of unfair is, you know, Trump's always been a guy who's been kind of a winner. I mean, everything he does, I mean, uh, you know, his TV show, his business, uh, <laughs> politics, the first time he, he runs, he becomes president. Um, but now, now people kind of see him as like, oh, he lost. Like they see him walking away with his tail between his legs. Um, you know, the people that don't like him, but it's like, that guy did fight all of the most powerful forces in the world, like to, to lose. Like he, it wasn't like he just got beat by some other billionaire. It wasn't Bloomberg that knocked him out. It was Twitter, Facebook, CNN, Hollywood, everything, all the entire university system. I mean, all of academia, everyone, every major force in the country and even the world pretty much like wanted this guy down and they barely got him out. I mean, it was not like just a clean, easy way to knock this guy out of their way. So that's, there's something to be said about that, you know, love him or hate him. That was, I've never, oh, yeah. I, I don't know if I'll ever see anyone else, you know, have a story like that ever again. Yeah, no, I mean the left, they own every cultural institution imaginable. And I don't even want to say the left because right. to me, it's like the, the political left grassroots of this country is not the same as, you know, somebody like, uh, what's his name? Futz nuts there. in 2016, John Kasich, like somebody like him, Kasich. Um, you know, to me, he's every bit as much of a problem as Hillary Clinton or anybody else. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, they're all beholden to the oligarchy, you know, big pharma and big oil and all these things and the federal reserve. So 
Yeah. I mean, he was going up against basically the entire media establishment and academia and Hollywood and everything. So yeah, you give him credit. I mean, it can never be, you could never be too grateful to him for taking out the Bush and Clinton crime families in the same year. I mean, that's, that's just impressive. You know, whatever your policies are. I really think CNN's days are numbered right now. They have nothing to run on other than a hatred for Trump. And that's going to, that's not going to sell anymore because no one really cares about Trump now. Yeah. And you know, Tim pool has been talking about this. There are guys who actually made their living replying to Donald Trump on Twitter. Like they actually made their living doing that. And, uh, and now they're called reply guys. And now that Trump is gone, it, it like uh, Tim Pool was talking about this. He was going through some of their Twitters and interviews and stuff, and they're like, "I don't know what I'm going to do." Like they they're actually upset and shaking. Like they were making a decent living just replying to Donald Trump's tweets, like by by waiting and refreshing and refreshing, and then being the first one to have some witty uh, one liner and get retweeted a bunch and get millions of followers. Um, hmm. You know that's what they did with their for their career. And now he's gone in the same way Donald Trump saved uh, CNN and the New York Times. You know, there's there's a bunch of individuals that are going down because they have nothing to to cry about. And that's what uh, Curtis Yarvin had talked about, too, is he goes, if you're a, a MAGA person, Biden's election is a good thing. And the reason it's a good thing is because the the uh, the cathedrals, main institutions in the media were on life support in 2016. Right. Nobody, everybody was getting their news online. Nobody was watching CNN except for empty airports. And the New York Times was losing subscribers and laying off staff. And then Donald Trump happens and their numbers, he he cited like actual stats. And CNN's viewership shot up like dramatically. I think it was like 40% or something. The New York Times had more subscribers than they'd had since the early 90s, all of these things. And, uh, and, you know, he whipped up half the country and galvanized them against him. And they went back to their institutions like the Times and CNN and MSNBC. So with that void, now all those places are going to be doing are playing defense, right? And when you're on defense, it's not good, right? You can only get scored on. It's not like they're going to get a pick six here. So I, I'm open to that argument. You know, it's like, can Biden actually shove, shove through some, you know, radical agenda, or is it going to be boring oligarchy business as usual? And we're going to watch these institutions that were on life support that had this resurgence. Are they going to fade back away again? And I think that's best case scenario. What I think they're going to be replaced with though is big tech. You know, you're going to see Google oh, yeah. and Twitter and all these things fill that void. And that to me is scary because I mean, CNN can't censor you, you know, you're not going to get on their shows, but they're not going to do anything to proactively silence you. But yeah, you know, also CNN didn't know. know. CNN didn't know how often you shit either like Twitter and Facebook and Google do, you know, they don't everything about your daily routine and everything you do. It's just like, you know, they track what you're, what you're doing, what you're saying. Um, half the reason I got rid of my Facebook over a year ago was I was having a conversation with our dad about um, he was building a desk and he was talking about live edge Oak and he, you know, I didn't really know what live edge Oak meant. And then he explained it to me. He said, live edge Oak, live edge Oak, like a bunch of times talking about how he's going to get it and how he's going to build this desk. And then like six hours later, I opened Facebook and all my suggested marketplace things are, are uh, links to live edge Oak. And <laughs> I, was, I was just like, Holy shit. Like it listens to your phone calls. Like I'm done with this and I'm sure it's yeah. still listening. You know, you know, I'm kind of leaning into it. Like I was, uh, I've been in the market for a new uh, jujitsu gi. So I've just been like saying the word 
new jujitsu gi like into my phone or I'll call like my wife and say like, yeah, I'm looking at some new gis. And then I open up Facebook and here's like some brand I've never heard of. And they're, they seem to be highly rated and it's like, all right, now I'm getting my, uh, I don't know what all the latest and greatest brands are. I'm going to check this place out. So you can actually, I mean, if you want to be lazy, you could use it to be lazy. You know, it's, it's creepy. It's creepy as hell. What was the most recent one I had? Ah, what was it? I, I was talking about something like way away from my phone or just my phone was on the other side of the room. And I mentioned it once when I was at training this last weekend. And then all of a sudden it's right on my newsfeed. It's all over the place. And it's every time I open my phone. So yeah, that is creepy. That is as creepy as it gets. Yeah. And what else, you know, I mean, I'm sure Google's doing that, you know, Amazon. Um, And it's like, like you said, if it's just people trying to sell me stuff, like, Hey, whatever, this is kind of cool. But the problem is that, you know, that can be used nefariously very easily in the wrong hands. And now that these, these companies are, you know, they're basically wings of, like you said, you don't say the DNC, but um, just the the cathedral in general, or just the establishment. Um, These people, you know, you don't know, like I'm skeptical what to even say in a group text right now. I'm skeptical what to say on the podcast right now, because I don't know the rules of the land five years from now and how this stuff can be actively enforced. Like if president AOC, takes over and like goes back and like, you know, you guys, you know, admitted to that you voted for Trump. Like that's, that's not like a punishable offense or something. You know, that's, that's obviously yeah. an extreme one, but it, it's like, it, they can just retroactively enforce things. I mean, that precedent's been set, even with like the, the Kavanaugh thing where they go back like 30 years on a guy and like go by hearsay about something that happened at a party when he was in college. It's like, okay. So now we can just like, there's no statute of limitations or real substantial evidence needed for anything. And we can just make up crimes as we go in the future. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, again, I'm sure most of the people listening to this have seen the AOC video of her recently where she's talking about, you know, now Trump is gone. But now what do we do about the Trump movement? And there needs to what is the the Orwellian? And that word is overused, but this is the essence of Orwell. Right. Uh, She said something like it it wasn't straight up reeducation camps, but it's like programs for truth and reconciliation and media literacy. Media literacy. (laughs) So you, AOC, 29-year-old bartender. It's like, okay, so we're going to have. Yeah, I hear. So it's like, okay, we're going to have representatives of the state tell people how to interpret information and what information is good. Okay, that's the finish line. If you are, I mean, like, seriously, if you are the ruling elite, that is the finish line, right? You've been in this tunnel, you know, stifling dissent and trying to spin narratives with things like, you know, Operation Mockingbird in the 60s, where you're like slowly taking control of the media and you spin things and you have to you have to craft stories and keep certain things classified and you have to like really thread the needle to kind of hide, clean up all of your mistakes and, and clean up after yourself. And now you have some sort of in 2021, you have a, a media literacy program which is just like, dude, you could just tell people what to think. Like, listen, if, if it doesn't, it's not a three letter network. Don't listen to them. Okay. That's, that's rule number one. It's like when you're telling somebody how to shop at a grocery store, healthy, like generally you want to stay on the outside of the store. There's your, like your produce and your meat and stuff. Like that's all the good stuff and stay away from all of the cereal and granola bars in the middle. Right. So it's like, they, they're going to tell people what information is good. You know, here's how you tell it's good information. You see blue check marks on Twitter good uh you know if they're on cable tv good and don't listen to conspiracy theorists and also 
the media, all these people that we just told you to listen to, these are the, the confirmed uh, news sources. They also take all of their cues, all of their information from the intelligence agencies, and they do not question them ever. Right. And this isn't conspiracy theory. This is like, look at the war in Iraq and how every cable news network and newspaper in the country just took what the CIA said and all of the intelligence agencies, and they just ran with it. They said Saddam has weapons of mass destruction, fact, okay, and he's going to use them. You know, Muammar Gaddafi is going to go genocidal on his people, fact. Like, you know, uh, Bashar al-Assad used chemical weapons, fact. All of these things are proven to be big, fat fucking lies, and they don't care. It's not like they look back and go, wow, guys, we got that one wrong. Can you nope. believe that? Like, we really owe the people an apology. No, I think- will destroy nations and enslave people. And you won't even apologize for it. And man, I got it. Like hats off to the establishment media. Like they crushed it with the Hunter Biden censorship. Like I know people to this day that still think that story is BS because they said if it was real, we would have heard about it. And it's like they just completely no one cares anymore. You don't hear about it. I mean, there's like rumors about, you know, him doing things with his niece. I mean, pictures like just the worst stuff in the world. Oh, one of my favorite was uh, Frank Luntz, you know, the, the poll guy that's always on Fox News and all that. Like Mm -hmm. they, they leaked an email, which, you know, this could have been made up. There's a lot of stuff coming out, but it was all over. There's like an email of him emailing Hunter Biden about, uh, the debate with, uh, with, uh, Paul Ryan in the, you know, the Romney, um, (laughs) Obiden, uh, Obama race in 26 or 2012. And he was saying like, you know, why don't you give my dad a, a, uh, you haven't been very kind to my dad lately. And he said, you know, ever since your dad got elected, he's given me fair weather treatment, fair weather friends get fair weather re- or results from me or something like that. Something to that effect. And he's like, and by the way, I, I gave that the, the VP, VP debate to your dad. Um, so I thought he should be a little appreciative. Like they're like talking about how it's all orchestrated, who he says won the debate and all this. And like saying like they need like more help from him. And like people were blowing up his Twitter, just tagging him like, hey, care to comment on this, Frank? Like there's like, this is a, an email from Hunter Biden to Frey Kluntz. Never heard a word about it. I was like, okay, this guy's career is done. Nope, he's back doing his thing. It just got completely buried. So well, once I saw that, end. Sorry, go ahead, finish. No, I was saying once I saw that, I was like, okay, like the truth does not matter. It's only if you're like autistically obsessed with it, like I was at the time, is the only way that you're gonna find out. Like they actually, it was so effective that people they don't believe Hunter Biden any of that laptop stuff was real. Like they don't well, even, they don't now, you know, that the, the mainstream media has flipped on that, right? Like well, now I know they are they're, admitting they're, something's there. Okay. Well, I knew like they admitted that the FBI had been investigating him, but now is this like a ploy to, to unseat Biden right away? I think, I mean, honestly, I think they're, they're kind of planting the seeds right now. Yeah. And I think Did it's going to be, I don't know if they're going to go towards 25th amendment or if it's going to be, here's a scandal. Here's why he's, it's a conflict of interest. He can't be the commander in chief, which, I, I don't know if they're going to do that because it's, I think it's more likely to be his dementia. He's the oldest president ever. I was going to comment. Did you see, if they uh, can't get Trump out of there, they're not going to get Biden out of there. Matt, Matt Erickson shared it on Twitter yesterday. There was a video of Biden walking away from a speech and it, it got to the point where it's like, you know, I'm, I'm not a fan of Biden at all, but I, I felt bad for the guy watching this just, just as a, an elderly guy, you know, like he was walking away from the podium and he stops and grabs a folder and he looks up at the crowd and just stares with his mouth down and goes like just terrified. He has no idea where he's at. He goes 
and then he just like walks away really nervously with his mouth open. Like he just like came to and realized he's on stage in front of people and he had no idea where he was at. It was the most it's senior like fighter. Yeah, it's like yeah, a fighter it, that gets knocked out and they get up and they're where am I? Yeah, kind of thing. I, like I had like this mixed feeling of like I can't believe like people let this guy win and like just feeling bad if that was my grandfather. Like get him out of the stage. Like let's get this guy. Let him go live out the rest of his life in quiet peace. You know, but it was like complete senior moment. Yeah, he's got those beady little eyes too, those beady little black eyes. Where I'm not saying that to be mean or like dehumanizing or whatever. It's like he he really does. Like you can tell, like you know the you know the whole like eyes being the portal to somebody's soul. It's like he doesn't look good, man. Like he he looks yeah. really bad. And when you pump him full of the right cocktail of amphetamines, he can make it through a 10 minute speech um, after two weeks of sleep. But you know you can't be a president that way. I mean, and let's be honest, all they really need him to do is stay conscious long enough to sign his name on a piece of paper. that has been prepared for him. Right. That's, that's all he really needs to do. Yeah. I can't take it serious. But, uh, every time I see a, like a, you know, a, a stand line at a grocery store, looking at the magazine headlines, it's like Biden's new $1.9 trillion plan. Biden's new way to tackle COVID. It's like, are we all going to sit here and pretend Biden's leading the charge on any of this stuff? Like, are we really going to play this game? Like, come on, can we just like have a little transparency? Like, yeah, and it's almost it's almost irrelevant. It's almost irrelevant. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. who cares if he's the like? Let's let's focus on the policy. And it's like, yeah, we all know the guy's a vegetable. Like, we mm-hmm. like to anybody who cares. But it's like, no, it's just his stutter. He has a childhood stutter. That's all it is. That's why he forgets what year it is and who's president. You know, it's yeah. like a stutter makes you forget what words to say and trail off and tell bizarre stories about your hairy legs that become the intro to our podcast, you know? Yeah. Hey, so going back to your point, were you saying that it's, it would be a good thing for ALC to go through these like media literacy things? Cause then people would know what's BS and what's real. Are you saying it would be, uh, end of the tunnel by like, it's a bad thing. Like that's no, I'm saying if, if you're the bad guys, right. If you're the establishment and you want to really take control of public opinion, um, and and really stomp out the remaining dissent. This is the end of the tunnel, right? I mean, this is like you've you made it, and there will be people that are always red pilled. But if you want to scare people, like like we're talking about right now, like we don't know if we're saying things that in five years will get you like banned off the internet and get you fired from your job. Like it's very like likely that things that we've said on this episode in five years will be like horribly taboo. And if it ever gets dug up, then you know it's like you could have your career ended. And I think that sort of self-censorship, that's what all of the brilliant dictatorships and, you know, around the world throughout history have done. It's like in North Korea, it's like you get rewarded for telling like, you know, tell us something about the kid that sits next to you. What did he do? Tell on your parents. And even uh, I saw Tom Woods commented this on somebody's Facebook post. There was this girl whose parents, uh, you know, were at the DC riot at the Capitol and uh, she turned them in. She turned in her own parents, like this 20-year-old girl. And uh, I don't know if she got rewarded or whatever, but she was proud of what she did. And Tom Woods commented, he's like, even Stalin called kids like this, quote, little pigs. You know, it's like <laughs> even Stalin said stitches or snitches get stitches. Oh, and, uh, so you know, the, the whole snitching thing, it's like there is the precedent of minding your own business is gone. Like there, there's none of that, you know, it's we're this is the future that we're moving towards. And, uh, you know, I feel like it's almost too late to change course. I think again, like we've talked about on the podcast so many times, like, okay, what is the strategy if you're somebody that 
is seeing this and is disturbed by it. And it's like, just build your arc, you know, like save up your money, invest, and get self-sufficient. You know, like I'm, I'm halfway kidding saying like the Mennonite Amish way of life is getting more and more attractive as I get older. It's just, there's something about the simplicity, man. Just, you know, off the grid, you know, I can live without the cell phone. I can live without the computer. Um, you know, I guess I'd, I'd have to full up the podcast, but, um, you know, I think libertarians should pr- just say we have our own like religion. religion. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah here's our rules. Um, we don't Tax- deal in fiat currency. Yeah. Taxes uh, are against our religions. We can't pay them. You know, we can't dude. We're going to go to hell if we pay taxes. <laughs> like everybody knows that silly, you know, like, yeah. and then we just take like three foods that nobody really likes. And we just act like it's part of our doctrine. Like, yeah, no, we can't have pineapple. It's, straight to hell like if you have pineapple (laughs) you just you take like the characteristics of like hardcore like religions and then you just repackage them and you make something that everybody's sort of on board with nobody likes hawaiian pizza so no pineapples just in general so do you know that the amish don't pay social security taxes they pay everything else they pay property and income tax but they don't pay social security because like it's part of the religion that they take care of their elderly so it's like and then like on all the websites, it's like, but in return, you know, they, they do not benefit from any social security benefits. That's like, oh no, like whatever. Dude, have you ever do? looked into what you pay in social security throughout your life oh, and then what you get enough. back? Yeah. You're getting not even adjusted for inflation. You're losing money. It's a terrible deal. It's mostly yeah. supporting senior citizens that are already there that are living literal beyond people. what people. Yeah. They're living way beyond what people had planned for. So they're costing more money. So, I mean that's what it is, you know? Okay. So I, yeah, good for the Amish, but yeah. really I think if there's two movements that we should start in 2021, it's declaring ourselves a religious minority and to ending the DMV, which we'll talk about another time. <laughs> I can get, oh boy. Can I, I, just, get oh, I know. I just, uh, usually if you buy a new car in Illinois for, since I got my license when I was 16, when you register a new car, you get title and tags, and plates, uh, it's like $225, right? So it's 200 and you have to write a $25 check or money order to the Illinois Department of Revenue separate. So if you make it through the line, you wait two hours mm-hmm. and you go to check out, you give them your debit card. They'll be like, okay, this covers your title and tags, but now you have to pay the tax to the Department of Revenue. And it's like, uh, okay, just add it on there. No, sir. They don't, they don't call you, sir. They just go, No. That needs to be in the form of a check made out to the Illinois Department of Revenue or a money order. You can get them at the gas station two blocks down on the corner. And it's like, okay, then I have to get back in line. Yep, because fuck you. That's why. So anyway, it was always $225. Uh, and this week I went to register. I bought a new car. I went to register it. And the DMV is closed. So I had to go to a private title place, which I was in and out in three minutes. It was incredible. You paid it was extra 300 yeah, it was $375 and their charge was only 25 bucks, which 25 bucks to avoid an hour at the DMV. I, you know, take my money. I'm done, mm-hmm. you know, but they upped their prices 50% this year. So it's, yeah, it's, it's robbery. So I yeah, mean, and I, there's no reason it needs to be in existence. Yeah. I had this guy in my, near my old house that, um, he had a private like business where you ship things and, uh, he also did vehicle titles, but yeah, it was right down the road from my house as opposed to 30 minutes to the DMV plus no line. And it was $25. So I'm like, okay, my gas an hour and a half in line and then deal with the worst, like most unfriendly people on earth um, or pay 25 bucks. I always paid the extra 25 bucks. Plus he hated the DMV in the state too. So I got to I got entertainment where I got to do what we're doing now and just vent about how much, how inefficient the government is while I was there. So that alone was worth 25 bucks. Um, but yeah. So, I mean, for those who haven't been listening long, 
uh, Nick and I are both big gearheads, and I've I bought and sold probably over fifty cars um, since I got my license. And the reason, yeah, the kind of the reason I stopped um, once having lack of time with kids, but it, yeah, it started getting so expensive to title them that like you, your profit margins had to be pretty big if I was going to ship a car because I'd buy them. Um, you know, I, I bought about a dozen cars from all over the country, from Arizona. I'd buy them sight unseen, have them shipped here. And I never had a dealer's license because that alone has all this like red tape and barriers to entry in Illinois where you have to like have a brick and mortar building this size with handicapped bathrooms and the lot has to be this big plus all this insurance. So, so right away you can't do it as a passive hobby with a full-time job. You have to like quit your job, have like a hundred grand or take out a business loan to go get all this set up to buy inventory. Um, so that was never incentivizing to me. So I used to just buy them. I would pay it. I would title each car and, uh, you know, and then sell it. But yeah, it just like kept going up to like, it was like a hundred bucks. I would do title only. I would never register and get plates cause I wouldn't drive them, but I would just give the state their, you know, their extortion money for taxing a vehicle that's been taxed a hundred times since it was created. Um, and then I, you know, then I would sell it, but then it just kept getting more and more. And then it's like 300 bucks now. It's like, well, if I was making two grand on a car, it cost me $700 to get it shipped here. Then I put a couple hundred bucks and detailing it and, and repairing it. And then, then the state, you know, takes 300 some dollars from me just to title it. Well, okay. Well, now I'm walking away with a few hundred dollars and you can easily lose that money really fast on a car. If it gets here, and it's less than you expected or something breaks when you got it or if the market goes down or if it was just a bad purchase. So it was just, it takes all your incentive away. That's what the state does. They keep bleeding you till it's like, okay, then I'm done. Then you don't get any money now. Like you couldn't leave it at a hundred. You had to keep raising it and raising it. Well, now there's no pie. I'm not gonna make the pie anymore. Yeah, no, it, it really, they, they suck the incentives out of everything to be productive. Yeah. It's, it's just so annoying. Like I just, it's like a taboo. And I remember like when I was young, like feeling like, you know, cause there's a lot of people I know that are older that have been in the business for a long time. And there's this thing called jumping titles where you just buy it, don't sign it, sell it. Not that I ever did that, but I know a lot of people who did. No. And, and um, you know, I, I got a close friend who uh, was actually offered a job by the secretary of state cause he's been in the business so long. Um, they started cracking down on these title jumpers people who buy a car and don't give the cathedral their, uh, their extortion money. Like, oh, and I remember thinking that was like a, a crime, like, man, and they can not title in a car. Can you imagine getting in trouble for that? Then looking back, it's like, what, like, what, who's getting hurt here? Like I bought a car from a guy and it was a voluntary exchange and I'm selling it to a guy voluntary exchange, but I could go to, like, I could get a fine or go to jail because the state didn't get $200. Like it's so wild, but they actually started cracking down on it. And a friend of mine said he knew a guy who got six, cars confiscated by the state they came to his house and like found a bunch of open titles in his safe because like they found out he was flipping them without without titling them and they just took his cars they stole six cars from him and then they offered uh my friend a job like a six-figure government job to since he knew the industry so well to go after people like these guys like that were jumping titles and like props to my buddy he told him like he goes yeah, that sounds real nice and all. Nice government pension, hundred grand a year. It's like, but you're asking me to rat on my friends for a living, and there's not a dollar amount in the world you give me to rat on my friends for a living and, and put them behind bars and get them in trouble for a victimless crime. Um, yeah, but they're just the state's getting so hungry. I mean, Illinois is just they're in such financial trouble that they're just trying to squeeze blood from a stone. Yeah, really. I mean, and and think about it. It's like okay, somebody let's say somebody's like the original owner of a car, and they go to sell it. And it's like, okay, I want eight grand for this car. Somebody shows up, eight grand of cash. Here you go. All right, here's the title. Here's a bill of sale saying I sold it to you. 
good day, sir. You know, they're happy. They sold the car. They're, you know, ecstatic. Like here's eight grand in cash. And it's like, what does that guy do with the car? Like if you sell the car, like I, I don't give a shit, whatever he does with it. Like I, I, he could go enter it in a demo derby and, and smash it up. Even if it's nice, it's his car. Now I don't give a shit. And, uh, there's no reason that guy can't turn it around. If he can go like detail it and fix up a couple things and, you know, sell it for 10 grand. Good for him. You know, why should I want him to pay a $400 fee to do that? I don't, you know, and it also takes a long time to get titles back right now. So if you want to like flip cars on the side, there's, it's just not really doable. It takes, you know, six weeks, eight weeks to get a title back. It's just, yeah. And, and well, he mentioned a completely victimless crime. It's, it's extortion. Like mm-hmm. the truest sense of the word. Yeah. Well, Nick, we got to dedicate a whole episode to um, starting a movement to uh, potentially on the DMV. I think we get a lot of libertarian support behind that. I think we get some just, you know, I think we get a lot of support. I think we get a lot of mega guys on that side. Oh, I just think- people, just, just regular people. Like, Hey, listen, hear me out. An online database. Okay. We could have Amazon run it. You buy a car, you punch in the VIN number, snap a picture of the title. And they send you a license plate that's at your door and, you know, tomorrow, you yesterday know, same day, if you do it before 8am and you get your plates and it costs you five bucks and that's it. No, and Amazon's going to be listening to your phone. Plates are you. What's that? Amazon, I said Amazon will be listening to your phone like Facebook and it'll know you're <laughs> buying a car. It'll just it'll go get home with your new car. It'll show up at your doorstep. Like, oh yeah, we heard you were buying that. It's like, oh, yeah, right. Creepy. Right. Thanks. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it could really be that simple. Like it, there's no reason. And then, you know, what's funny is this year. Um, like I had license plate tags that expired in March on two cars and, you know, with the COVID shutdown, the DMV closed and they reopened in like June or something, but they said, and I asked my friend who's a cop in the town I live, uh, I said, you know, are they, are you guys pulling people over for expired tags? And he's like, no, we've been told to not worry about it right now. And, uh, the state of Illinois themselves said, we're extending it through November. You don't have to, you know, we're not going to fine you. And then in November they closed down again. So now it's like, even right now my license is expired, but they have this grace period. Yeah. So it's like, okay, so what did we learn this year? That all of this bullshit, it's like, you have to buy this magical sticker for a hundred or $200 every year that does nothing. It doesn't make the world a safer place. It doesn't protect or serve you in any way. It's just a sticker. You're paying $200 for a sticker and it's for some bureaucrats pension. That's all it's for. So, you know, hopefully I think right now it's like, you just point out to these people, there's a strong, serious, it sounds like a funny thing, like this libertarian side quest to end the DMV, but it's doable. And it would actually improve the lives of a lot of people here. You can save 500 bucks a year if you're an average guy, you know, why not? Yeah. I feel like that's more effective. It's kind of like the Jordan Peters thing about cleaning your own room before, before getting on the world's problems. <laughs> it's like, you want to end the federal reserve. And it's like, that's a big task. And it's like, You've got a DMV that's right down the street from you that's extorting you all the bloody time. It's like, well, start with that. How are you going to overthrow the world tyrant when you can't even overthrow your bloody local tyrant? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that is a very compelling argument. I mean, I think Jordan Peterson actually agree with that. But yeah, I mean, let's, you know, I, I, there's somewhere between privatizing the sidewalks and, um, you know, ending the Fed. But I think I think that's a great area to start that would get a lot of attention. But yeah, so I remember, like you mentioned, clearly those are non-essential businesses, right? And I remember during the lockdowns when all the local police like weren't giving out speeding tickets, and I and I had a buddy who's a local cop. I was like, you know, so are you guys doing speeding tickets or pulling people over? And he's like, no, we're only like you know violent crime, like going to domestics and stuff. And 
So it was kind of like, so, so basically speeding tickets are a non-essential part of, uh, of society then like we could just not have speeding tickets like you know <laughs> no speeding tickets no expired stickers right. unless somebody's reckless like basically right. if somebody's driving so recklessly that somebody calls the cops and it's like dude this guy almost hit me he's passing everybody in a school right. zone and stuff like yeah then don't worry about him but oh, seven I, over then you're home from work because you know yeah. you want to get home and see your kids before bedtime yeah my my two tickets ever times i got pulled over it was for uh one was driving without license plates right after i bought a car which i I wouldn't do something stupid or crazy like leaving the title open for a couple of weeks after buying a car because I don't want to go to the DMV. I would never do that. Um, you know, and I'm not saying that I got pulled over and signed the title like while the cop was still in his car with the lights on. I, that would be terrible and irresponsible. I'd never do and you that. Didn't, you didn't leave that date open just in case you got pulled over one day and say, no, no, I didn't make sure I had, a, I would never like make sure I have a pen handy so I could sign the title like while the right. cop is walking up. That'd, Never, be that'd be illegal, Nick. You can't do that. You, you should no, I don't advocate anybody do that. That's irresponsible. Um, <laughs> but I got pulled over the moment after I bought a car. And then I got pulled over for rolling a right-hand turn. And I got pulled over for doing uh, 15 miles an hour over the speed limit on a downhill road where if you're doing 45 at the top, and it is a 45, by the time you hit the bottom of the hill, you're doing 60. And when I went to my traffic class to get it taken off my record, uh, there were probably like 15 people in the class and five of them had a speeding ticket on that same road. And, uh, the teacher of the class was a retired cop and he's like, Oh yeah, whenever we needed to like meet quota, that's where we'd go camp out to get speeding tickets. They were easy, you know? And it's like, okay, so yeah, that's just, it's what they do. You know, if they want money, they go get it. Yeah, no, I've had like, you know, tons of sports cars. I've had a couple of Vipers, it's like seven Corvettes, bunch of, uh, you know, LS powered cars and stuff. A lot, a lot of four or five, 600 horsepower cars. But ironically, my only tickets I've ever gotten have been in like full size work vans and trucks, like just going like five, seven over. Like, I, you know, usually if I'm driving something fast, like I'm very conscious of where I'm going to stand on it. If I'm going to go over 100, I'm going to be out on a country road or something. Um but I've always been popped when I have my guard down when it's like just cruising in a work van or something. They just get, hit a radar gun. You know, it's like you would think I'd be getting tagged all the time and, you know, having sports cars in my twenties, but it was always just the most innocent vehicles for the most non dangerous driving there is. But, yeah. So next episode, we, we lay out the case for abolishing the DMV and we're going to have to do it state by state, unfortunately, or fortunately, yeah. depending on, you know, how strong your chapter is. Yeah, I mean, we could have, uh, you know, used a guy like Trump to make an executive order, but those days are behind us now. And he would have done it anyways. So, <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. That's a wrap. Talk to you later. All right. Saving money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money.